Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Yeah, but as somebody sent me a, one of those uh, posters, it said, I would like to return 2021. I took the seven-day trial, and I didn't like it. <laughs> Yeah, we we could have said that about a couple of recent years we've had, to say the least. Uh, well, with that in mind of what ha- what has been happening over the last week, I'll ask you the question that so many listeners have asked me to ask you, and that is, what is your impression, your overview of what happened this week in Washington, D.C.? I'd say it's more of a depression over what happened than an impression. I think it's very sad that uh, to see the the violence in, in our capital. People have a right to express their views. They have a right to protest. They have a right to reject uh, anything that they want in a free society. But they don't have a right to to engage in that kind of violence and violate the institutions. I mean, it's obviously not the first time it's ever happened, and others have engaged in you know violent demonstrations. Uh, but that doesn't justify. And you think about the impact in the world, and obviously I follow reaction everywhere to, to these things. And uh, it's, it, it, it shocked people because America is different. We're not the other countries of the world where these things happen. So I think it's, it's very regrettable. You know, the demonstration could have taken place without this. Um, and unfortunately, I think it tarnishes the president, it tarnishes the country, and... You know, did not change the outcome. One of the, and that and that may be the most important point. One of the things we we tried, and so many tried during the summer when America was filled in its major cities with protests and wanton violence and looting, etc. One of the things that we tried to communicate was that this is counterproductive. This is counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve. And you just indicated that, that, that demonstrations, protests, you know, obviously have led to change and are, and are a, a positive way of dealing with the, a point of view. And we saw that this week at the beginning of the whole episode. But then what it turned into was so counterproductive and so terrible. And I happen to speak, I'm being serious about this, because there are people here in different shops from different countries. I spoke to someone from Algeria, and he made the following comment to me. He said, this can't happen in America. America leads the world. America doesn't realize Washington is the leader of the world. This gentleman's from the Middle East, and he's acknowledging how what happens in Washington, D.C. is what the entire world eventually will follow. And, and and all of that, that great responsibility that the U.S. has on its shoulders, and it's sort of like we just, you know, we're ready to just give it up this week. It was a terrible display when you think of the position the U.S. has in the world. Absolutely. There was a um, an element that was disturbing, and that was, um, I mean, it's always disturbing when the element of anti-Semitism comes up, but there were some disturbing images, some disturbing um, um, uh, rhetoric uh, regarding the Jewish community, uh, you always say, obviously based on history, we know this, that no matter what side you're on or no matter what side is uh, is angry, uh, unfortunately it's the Jews that often are going to be the target no matter what the uh, uh, no matter what the point of view is. Was there that feeling this week? The things I saw and heard are those exceptions? Are you worried that there could be a trend here that one or both sides of this issue could target the Jewish community with rhetoric that's inappropriate? I'm not worried only about the rhetoric. I'm worried about the deeds, because words of, of violence lead to deeds of violence. Words of hate lead to acts of hate. 
and we have ample reason to see to, to believe that it, it is happening on all sides. There have been manifestations, extreme right, extreme left, and, and strong trends of anti-Semitism, even with perhaps state involvement. But if you if you know, uh, if people knew what really is going on on the internet, they would not be surprised by this. The, the incitement, the constant incitement, the thousands of websites, the manipulation, the, the code words that are adopted and by, by people who do not know the real significance, to see the, the ability to manipulate the Internet to the purposes of these extremists, and the, not only do they hack, do they uh, infiltrate people's websites, but the, just the normal operations where... And I have been meeting with experts about this who, who are monitoring this all the time. And it's, I'm telling you, it would be sci-fi for me to tell people because they won't believe it. They'll think that this is just another one of those extremist expressions. And, you know, I'm not given to that. And I don't believe in conspiracy theories, and too many in our community seem to. Um, uh, but this is real. And the expressions that we saw there, they were, I think, mild, uh, a minority, small minority within the crowd. Uh, but there were Camp Auschwitz shirts, and there was the attack on the Israeli reporter. Um, um, there were a couple people with Israeli flags, and, the, and somebody even brought a Sefer Torah into the into the Capitol, which I think is a desecration. No, that was. I, I think that was that was a meme that was created based on the podium that was stolen from the. Capital, I believe. I don't think that was a real. I don't think that was a real. Uh, because it wasn't seen in the demonstration itself, which was what I was going to say, is that it could be a manipulated picture. But it. But so you, the problem is that people don't have any faith in what they see, what they read, what they hear. If all, you, if you all don't this, know what is being manipulated. If things were monitored and, and the other side of the internet is monitored the way you're saying, then why wasn't there? Then, then in fact, the Capitol Police are guilty of not being better prepared for this because it seems like it, it seems like uh, somewhere uh, they were given warning that this type of demonstration or act might occur. So I don't know how what kind of uh, advance warning they had in in this instance. Um, I'm saying this is in the general and the ongoing uh, trends, and you know, even when you see these guys who are described as lone wolves, often when you check their internet connections and their, you know, who, who they're in touch with and uh, the incitement that comes from various of these sources. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, and we will find out because this has to be investigated. It will be at just firing and, and, the, and quitting the jobs by uh, leaders of the police force and others and the sergeants of an arm at, at both the House and the, and the Senate. Uh, that doesn't solve this, that we have to understand much more the dynamic of what happened and what warnings there were. Right, it could true. be spontaneous. It could be that people were looking for, do you have agitators who infiltrate situations like this, as we saw during the summer, we saw it now. And they take advantage of it, and uh, we, we the, the fact that there was an ample police protection is really inexplicable. Right. Well, there's there are some who claim that now. I mean, people have claimed this after other episodes. Now is the time to leave the U.S. future of the Jewish peoples and state of Israel. I get all that, but for those of us, whether we leave or not, who care about this country, do you think the United States can recover from this? Yes, I think we, we can. We, we recovered from bad things in the past. The problem when when the president is involved and the leaders of the, our governments are involved, 
and they lose the confidence of the people. That's uh, sad. And then, then you don't have voices of authority. We've seen the reduction of the influence of the church, much like in Europe. We've seen the political divisions, much like in Europe. We see the loss of the political center, like in Europe. Do we want to become Europe? I don't think so. And I hope America is better than that and can rise above it. Uh, I don't think we should mix it with this Ali Ali. I should be a positive right. in- initiative. Agreed. <laughs> uh, but but I, I hear it a lot from people now, and uh, and maybe those who were in the wake of, of a decision, um, weighing a decision to, to go or not, maybe this will tip the balance. Do you but think- we have a lot. We put, but just I want to say that that you know, with all that's going on, and with people obsessed with this, you know, there are a lot of other things happening that are not getting the attention of our elected officials or of yeah. others. When government people resign en masse, as we're seeing, then the bad guys take advantage of it. And we have a, a slew of things this week that took place with Iran. I mean, Iran saying and adopting and debating now a resolution in their list to destroy Israel by 2041. Because, you know, Khamenei had called for it a couple of years ago. I, I discussed it on the show that he had um, in 20... He called for the destruction of Israel by... 2040, and and two years ago, um, uh, they had a big digital clock with a countdown to Israel's destruction in 2040. Now you have a, a, a parliamentary dis- debate while people are saying we should go back to the table with them, we should talk to them, you know, things will be different now, and, and uh, you know, they, they say our Lebanese and Gaza proxies will level Tel Aviv and Haifa. These are exact quotes to the ground, uh, even though Nasrallah said that they were not asked because he's afraid of the retribution saying that the Iraq can handle it themselves. They have not asked us to do it. But they talk openly of the destruction of Israel and nothing. A false accusation against Israel about the vaccines. I know there's a little bit off, but it's very important. People put things back into context that that the news hour, a most respected show, the Guardian runs a major story in England and says Israel is denying the vaccine to the Palestinians, which is a blatant false lie. It's a blood libel. And and so many people ready to pick it up, and it gets repeated and repeated that Israel's denying it to them, when in fact it's the PA that's denying cooperation. Israel offered it. Gaza, it's run by Hamas, runs the health system. They don't want to cooperate. And and all the Arabs in Israel are getting the the uh, inoculation, just like uh, the uh, other citizens um, in, in the same uh, uh, regimen that the that the uh, Israelis uh, who are Jewish or anything else get it. And the and even those who are living, let's say, in East Jerusalem and don't have Israeli citizenship, they are also eligible for it. So you can have a blood libel like that with the major media buying into it. And a lot of it is under the fog of the moment, which is a very serious time and a very serious uh, um, uh, moment for all of us on on so many fronts. When you you look at where the world is, our Shabbat threatens us. They have the terrorist groups around the world taking advantage of of this vacuum that they that they feel, and COVID and all the other things that are are burdening us. Yeah, and. I was going to get to a bunch of that stuff. I just want to finish up some of the things here on this side of the world. Uh, do you think that Joe Biden is the right person to try to heal things? Because I think that over the last 20 years or so, we've seen uh, that there's a lack of diplomacy, a lack of political acumen 
amongst our leaders to get along with people on the other side of the aisle. And I don't know, maybe it's an era of social media. Maybe it's an era of extremism. Maybe it's an era of, of, of blatant craziness sometimes uh, that doesn't allow people to just sit and have conversations anymore with those who have an R in front of their name or those who have a D in front of their name if they're on the opposite side of the aisle. Do you think that we can get back to a point where there can be real peaceful discussion and diplomacy in a place like the Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives? It will take time. I think there's a lot of deep wounds that have to heal. Uh, But it's essential when you have the Senate, you know, with a 50-50 split and the vice president having to cast a vote, it's not the way legislation should be arrived at. It has to be uh, consensus-driven. And I think that many people in both houses, will want to initiate a different era, will want to go back to more bipartisanship, um, in part because they need it, because the, also the divisions in the House are not that great, between the, are not that big between Democrats and Republicans. And also, they're already looking at the uh, off-year elections in two years, and when, with this balance, so you, they don't want to alienate the, the voters, which means that they have to produce, and certainly on issues like the, the COVID and, and the reaction and the economic uh, disaster that we have now because of it, um, even though the stock market keeps going up, that, <laughs> which nobody can explain either. So I do think, and I, and I do think Biden, who has a history of it when he was chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, uh, of working with both sides, but the question is, you know, the others, uh, the, there are a lot of people appointed that are, that are of concern. Have the concern has been expressed publicly about some of the people and their history and some of the positions they've taken on Iran, on uh, Israel-related matters. Um, we will have to see how, how all of this uh, comes together. But I think yeah. the initial emphasis is going to be on the domestic situation, as it should be, and the uh, putting the House in order um, and... You know, we're going to have to see how all of this can gel, how the government itself, you know, which will take some time till everything's in order, although they had six months in which they have already been uh, preparing and examining the all the executive orders they want to rescind and all the positions they want to take. Um, and and also when it comes to Israel now, Israel facing an election also makes it yeah. more complicated. I was um, I, I was not in favor, obviously. I mean, who would? Well, who who? Which libertarian would be in favor of uh, President Trump being uh, banned from Twitter, Facebook, etc.? But you want to know something? I'm thinking to myself, and that's why I brought up social media in my earlier question. If government officials were not on social media and were not involved in this game of, of extreme comments and biting insults that go back and forth and stupid lines that are just, you know, misinterpreted or, or you know, are, are, are completely blown out of proportion, if they weren't involved in all that, I think they'd have more of a chance of having normal, <laughs> uh, peaceful conversations uh, in Washington. I think the fact that our leaders are involved in this whole social media explosion which is so, which can be, and in this, and in the way I'm regarding it, is so detrimental. If they were not on it, I think there'd be more of an opportunity to actually reach out to the other side. I, I do think that's true. You know, you can't, you know, put things up online and say that they remain, think they remain secret, or remain right. and they're going to come back to haunt you years later, even as we've seen in many cases for, for people. Um, uh, and also, you can't deal with complex issues in 42 characters or whatever it is. Right. 
and and that's part of the problem. And then people are trained down to express themselves and weigh every word. So you remove words, which can remove and change the meaning of things very dramatically. And finally, I saw a commentator on TV say that they they someone suggested we have to find common ground with these people, with the ones in Washington, with the ones who demonstrated this summer. We've got to find common ground. Otherwise, how do we move forward as a nation? The other one, the other commentator said, no, I, I have no common ground with these people. And if that's going to be the attitude going forward in this country, that there is no common ground, there's no way to live, you know, peacefully side by side with others, then we're in for a lot of trouble, frankly. I, I think not only do the government officials need to have a an attitude of common ground, but us as citizens, we as citizens, need to have it as well. And that's a uh, that's something that's important, not just for you know for our community to hear, for all communities to hear. And the tone is set by all those who are influential, aside from the political leaders and, and people on both sides of the aisle have made outrageous comments and and um, accusations and uh, descriptions of, of their opponents. That are unacceptable, but religious leaders and educators, and you know, on our campuses, the fact that there's so much hate is being fomented, and and uh, we have you know reports from all over the country. You know, I looked at one uh, site, I think it was yesterday, uh, and I just looked at five stories in a row about uh, a man who was insulted in in Berlin. And about in Ukrainian demonstrations, the far right, they, they demanded that Israel apologize for the communist oppression. And Bahraini journalists saying that they are being bullied because they support the peace process. And, I mean, there was like five or six in a row that just make you, and then the Camp Auschwitz picture came, came right. after that. All in one site and one time. Uh, there's a lot going on, and we as a community have to be focused very carefully on all of this. And as, as we do our hazard, and we worry about those who have been affected by COVID, and to make sure that that uh, people are fed and basic needs are taken care of. Yeah. We, we as a country have to look at these at the bigger picture, and you know, and it's left right. It's not one side or the other. Some lately, it's one side that was in focus. The summer was the other side in focus. And, there, and then there are people who just exacerbate the situation, who take advantage of it, even if the vast majority of people there just are there to express their concerns, which is what America allows them to do. And finally, and I'll move on in a second, but I don't know, everything I just discussed, or we just discussed regarding, you know, moving forward, common ground, peacefulness, normal conversation, sadly, I don't know if our media, not social media, I don't know if our media will allow it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because they live off of it. Yeah. It's what keeps people 24 hours a day. And they're so you know, dominant. On... They're so dominant now. And, yeah. and, and there's so little. It's so fractured. You know, at this point, what every network feels. You never you never knew that 25 years ago. You know, basically, you know, everyone's point of view, what every newspaper, you know, what their point of view is and where they're coming from and why they write the headlines they do. I just don't know if they're ever going to, to allow uh, this country to... Um, uh, to be uh, to be able to heal from all this, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio, around the world the web at NachumSiegel dot com and the NachumSiegel network, and of course in the beloved NSN app. So uh, apparently, Iran thinks it's a good idea, and that it increases their bargaining power with both the U.S. and Europe, especially with a new U.S. leader coming in at the end of the month. Uh, they think it's a good idea to uh, enrich more uranium. Could you give us an update? in terms of what Iran is doing, and maybe explain to us how this might help them as they feel it will politically. 
Well, first of all, there are always dual agendas when it comes to Iran. You can't look at things just on the surface. Uh, you know, from one hand, you have Zarif saying that Israel wants to instigate a war and is baiting in Iraq uh, attacks on, on the U.S. so that the U.S. will, uh, will, will respond. You have um, as, uh, multiple of activities. Of course, they're continuing to instigate in the region, and we have more and more evidence of of it. They seized a Korean oil, uh, a Korean tanker, a chemical tanker, actually, um, off the coast of Oman, and they took it into the country. And it's mostly because the South Koreans are holding seven billion dollars of their uh, of their uh, uh, money. Uh, they're also initiating lawsuits. Against the United States and Israel with the Soleimani uh, killing, and you know Hezbollah announces that they have double the rockets, which is because of this, and, and the uh, because of Iran and the and, and the improved guidance systems that have been delivered. How much and stuff we don't know. So Iran takes advantage of every opportunity, knowing the United States' attention is deflected, seeing that the Europeans are weak. And this week, the three, France, Germany, and England, did come out against Iran on the increased enrichment that you raised. They're up to um, 20%, and, and you need 90% for a nuclear weapon, weapons-grade uranium. But to go from 3.5% to 5% is a big jump. To go from 5% to 10 and 10 to 20 is very significant. To go from 20 to 90 is purely technical. Oh, it's no more, and you don't know more new ideas and stuff. So the breakout time has been reduced greatly. They are storing much more than what they were allowed to. It's not just the the purity is above the 3.67 percent to 20 percent, but the amount that they were supposed to have, and we know that they've reactivated Fordo, which I've warned about for a long time on this show, and now we, we see others are finally picking up the, the cudgels of, of, uh, of this, and that Iran, um, despite the, the criticism from uh, France, Germany, UK, is demanding the United States. They, they can't negotiate anything with the United States except nuclear things that's in the bill that the Marshalls uh, dealt with, and the Marshalls ordered them to restore all of the... Um, the uh, nuclear program, they have a thousand centrifuges. By their admission, they're saying that they that they have uh, uh, these uh, additional cascades uh, operating, which is far beyond what they were uh, supposed to have as well. So we have a situation where Iran is able to to move, you know, on its own. Uh, the administration's message, the incoming administration's message may be misinterpreted or may be interpreted right, where they're saying that they, they want to get back in the JCPOA, but they want compliance. The question is what comes first. Uh, if they, in fact, remove the sanctions, the United States this week sanctioned, again, uh, metal and other industries that are helping the uh, the, the nuclear program, uh, and, and general lack of attention to the nuclear program, should be of concern to everybody because this is, I mean, this can change the Middle East. It will certainly start the, the arms race and they, they're cutting their breakout time uh, very significantly. And so 
we, uh, all of us, should be taking much more account of this. And I know it sounds very technical when you start talking about, you know, enrichment and the, the facilities and whether Fordo or Natanz or whatever. The fact is that the, the Iranians are, are know that they are very vulnerable, and if the West continues to keep the pressure on them, then we can uh, we can try and force them because they are on the verge of economic collapse. If we bail them out again then understand we will pay uh, uh, the the price very severely for it what what is the price for re-entry into the jcpoa what is the what, what will they go back to the original conditions meaning cutting back enrichment the, the stockpiles the, no but I, i'm saying is there going to be a big payment from the u.s to iran if that happens Will they be sending Well, we them? are holding a lot of resources. We've frozen a lot of assets, so they're demanding the release of those those assets, like last time. Um, right. You know, so, the, so the Obama deal was like a one-time payment. Like that was just you know we're, we're sending yeah. you, we're sending you this money, and we want to. Well, we haven't made any more payments in the four years. Right. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Opposite. So, if there's, a, if there's a re-entry, Biden says, "Okay, it's time to re-enter." You know, I mean, <laughs> they've got to be nuts in Iran not to hold the U.S. hostage for some you know hundreds of millions of dollars. Frankly, well, they say they want compensation for all of the uh, sanctions, and that they it's Iran says this right. that they want compensation for all of the sanctions, that they want um, you know com- admission of guilt and an apology on the killing of Soleimani. And I guess Farzada, and they—I mean—they are—they're putting demands up as if they are in the, the driver's seat. They are not, and and only if we keep the pressure on them, only if we continue to show them that we're prepared to make these, you know, really strong and and bold measures, because they will read the administration. That's what they're going to act upon is their perception of whether the administration is going to react. Will the uh, the new administration? Will the new Congress? You know, really take the steps um, necessary. We see also in the ballistic missile program moving ahead. That's another thing that that has to be addressed. And and the the question is: Are are we going to send the right messages? Are we going to get the time necessary to to hold them to account? Yeah, I hear that. Malcolm, could you give us a Sudan update, and could you give us a Qatar update? Yeah, so Sudan uh, did quietly sign the uh, the peace accords, like uh, Bahrain and, and UAE, and um, Secretary of Treasury Mnuchin was there uh, for a day. They had they did it very low key. Yeah, why is that? Um, not to incite uh, the opposition within the country and outside. And um, you know what's you funny? Know. Someone said to me yesterday, "You don't realize the difference between the UAE and Bahrain. Bahrain wants to keep things really on the down low." You know, you, you walked around in the UAE with the yarmulke. I don't know if it's the same thing in Bahrain. It's, it's funny. You know, we think we some of us think that the that these countries are all the same, or that their attitudes are all the same, especially when they open diplomatic channels to Israel. But there's still some who would like to be as reserved as possible. Well, like Morocco is is being reserved, and they're also the, the Saudis, others. They're all waiting to see what this administration, the new administration, will do. Will they pick up, you know, this right. uh, process and continue to press for it? Will they? Uh, you know, as they have said, go after Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and others over human rights issues. Will they, um, you know, allow Iran to come back in? Which I think will drive them further in the process because they will need Israel more, and Israel will need them more. And if they have a united front, it can do be much more effective um, in in dealing with Iran and and the regional threat that that it poses. Right. Um, so Sudan. 
um, remember, Khartoum is the place of the three no's, so seeing them sign the deal there was especially significant for those who remember and those who don't, look it up. And then um, in terms of Qatar, uh, we don't have a full explanation yet of what it means. Qatar is a very troublesome country. On the one hand, Israel cooperates with them uh, because they give money to Hamas, which may sound strange, but Israel wants, you know, the, the doesn't want to see it collapse there. And uh, Qatar is the one that's been willing to to give money. On the other hand, they have they are aligned with Iran and Turkey on on instances. They have been involved in a very intense conflict with Saudi Arabia. There was a boycott which has been dropped, but we haven't seen whether will they modify Al Jazeera? Will they stop funding other terrorist entities? Um, we'll have to see what kind of behavior. Uh, Qatar engages in. I think people were tired of the conflict, and the polls show that that you know people wanted to see it resolved. So this is um, in advance of a new administration again a motivation for them right. not to be focused on those issues. I think Yemen is going to be uh, an issue in which all of them then will now look to see if they can get some resolution or get a way to pull out. Does Joe Biden, and if he does, who do you think it'll be, name a new ambassador to Israel? Of course he's going to name a new ambassador. Uh, He's not going to keep um, uh, Mr. Friedman. And there are five or six candidates uh, who I know are vying for it. Uh, But we don't know who's going to be. They're not up to that yet. Names that we'd be familiar with? Some of them. Mm. Mm. Sounds mysterious. Uh, speaking of Israel, there's an election coming up at the end of March. Really? Have you been told, or did you see the story, that the Netanyahu trial is now scheduled for the week of the election? <laughs> that would be something. <laughs> well, the court refused to change the dates, as, as I recall reading. and um, But look at how mercurial the situation is there with the different alliances or potential alliances or people running separately. You have so many parties, I think nine, ten already, that are are out there. Uh, the left seems disorganized. The right seems to be in conflict with itself. The um, it, It'll sort itself out in time. I think there are always these flash, you know, when some new candidate comes up and all of a sudden the polls show that overnight they get six seats, eight seats, whatever, and then it settles down. Uh, and then there are others. We've seen a lot of uh, new parties emerge over the years that right. run for one or two elections. Um, but there's certainly, you know, the, this is an election about BB. This is pro and con. BB. Well, here, here's what it says here. It says no. it says that the uh, because the trial was postponed because of the coronavirus like that coronavirus lockdown. The uh, postponement could push the calling of the witnesses to right before or right after election day. That would be quite a scene. They're going, you know, they're, they're campaigning, and, and in the press, they get to, you know, report on all the people that are, you know, coming as witnesses against Netanyahu. Or it may help them. They show that they don't have much to bring against them. Mm. But um, but you know that they announced yesterday, last night, late last night, that Netanyahu announced that they're going to inoculate everybody above the age of 16 by the end of March. Wow which also comes before the election and right before the trial. Uh, He said we're going to be the first country in the world to do that, although I do think Palau 
announced that they've inoculated both of their citizens. And, uh, <laughs> they don't have a minion, huh? <laughs> no, they do, but they're, they're very good supporters of Israel, right. but very small. You know, they're right. our own nations also that uh, I'm sure will how'd they get a hold? How'd, how'd they get a hold of the vaccine? What was their strategy? Uh, I don't know which vaccine it is, and I don't know... Uh, you know whether what what the limits are and what what standards they're using this to to be able to make the claim. But for Israel, it means everybody over the age of fourteen, as you know, they they're leading the world in the number of, yeah. of inoculations, and they signed a deal with Pfizer yesterday that will enable them to import many more uh, vaccines. Uh, there was a condition attached to that. Uh, Pfizer wanted as much data as possible from the Israeli uh, Kupot Cholim in exchange for that, which, of course, I'm sure, you know, it's going to be granted. But it does show you that there is a... I mean, I saw this in the Times article over the weekend also. They said there's a... It's not just that Israel got lucky in terms of the, you know, the paying more money and, and planning early, etc. Also, the companies are anxious to sell to them because of the organized data they could provide. Because of the Kupot Cholim. And, and, by the way, this is not just true in this instance. This has been true and I had some exposure to the, the various industries, um, pharma, but big data today is the big source of, of profit for most companies. Right. Good point. Good point. And, and that's certainly true here. Yeah. Listen, I looked at the daily alert and I took one screenshot because if you do the daily alert, you know, you'd have to take like 12 screenshots to get through the whole daily, you know, uh, uh, daily segment that you produce. You we to, don't anymore, and it's on only twice a week now. Yeah, it's but what do you mean? by the JC uh, by the Jerusalem Senate, we don't we don't partner in it anymore. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I was going to give you a lot of credit. Anyway, uh, go to. I'm sure you still recommend people go there, right? Absolutely. So go to dailyalert.org. The reason I'm, I, I wanted to point this out, I took one screenshot, right? So it's a small portion of yesterday's daily alert, and in that one screenshot, listen to these three stories: Israel developed facial authentication will secure financial transactions. Number two, Israeli firm develops drone jamming technology. Number three, Israeli firm invents breathable skin substitute to treat burns. What amazing positive stories these are. Incredible what's going on in Israel. And in so many different areas, from from military technology, which I assume the drone jamming is, to facial authentication, to skin substitutes to use medically so people can, can go on with their lives after having serious burns and injuries. Anyway, I just had to point that out. Well, no, it's very important because, you know, these, as I said, all of these stories get so obfuscated, and uh, the Daily Alert does try to look, and and they're very valuable that they do this, um, to highlight to people, and there are websites, others that focus just on this, Israel 21C, others that um, look at all the new innovations um, that, that are being developed in every area from drones that they, they're, they're a new sales to um, India, Greece, other countries, military, the joint U.S.-Israel cooperation in these areas because this little country is producing stuff so fast and, and I, I forgot the amount of money, but there was a huge influx of funds in December again, despite COVID, into the high-tech, uh, high-tech investments um, in Israel. So yes, it's a it's a story that gets completely uh, overlooked, and to see how much, and that's one of the reasons that drives the the other Arab countries and others to come together with Israel because they know it's a wellspring of innovation and technology that they can use and that is applicable aside from the other issues on the agenda. And at the same time, people should look 
not just at the future, but at the past, at the amazing discoveries that are being made about past Jewish history and rewriting a lot of it about the, yeah. the um, you know, how the length of the time that the Jews lived in Israel, the Israelites, etc. Uh, we see history rewritten almost every day there. Here's the statistic. Israeli tech companies, which raised a record $8.3 billion in 2019, raised over $10.6 billion in 2020, including, here's the number you're looking for, over $900 million in the month right. of December. Unbelievable. Malcolm 5050 in Washington. It is amazing what God does to run this world. It's amazing what he decides to do and the machinations that he puts forth in order to get this uh, this world to operate the way he wants. Because when you think about it, this whole runoff thing uh, that started in Georgia decades ago was, was done you know, for a variety of reasons that they thought would be a good idea in terms of uh, you know, voting patterns down there. And, and look, all these decades later, it plays such an important role in creating a 50-50 Senate and such a crazy situation. And maybe it will remind people the importance of every vote and that people now go and register. No excuses. They can't say they don't know. They see when a 50-50 situation, but, but in every state, every place counts. You never know which one will make a difference. People should register and go to vote, get involved. Don't No excuses. They can't say they didn't know. They see it every day. And, you know, it's really imperative that people learn the lesson of this period and take positive action as a result. Yeah, 100%. I thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. We call it the Weekly Update.